Transformational truth number nine. When it comes to applying the Bible to our lives, anytime we take the text out of context, we can be left with a con. Welcome to the Transformational Truth Podcast, where we're committed to eliminating the obstacles that take the joy out of life and leadership. Today's guest on Transformational Truths is Dr. Josh Rice. Dr. Rice presently serves as teaching pastor at Eastside Baptist Church in Atlanta. He is the instructor of biblical studies at Point University, and he serves as the dean of the School of Ministry at Richmond Graduate University. Dr. Rice holds degrees from Lee University, Columbia Theological Seminary, and the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Josh is the author of Paul and Patronage, The Dynamics of Power in 1 Corinthians, and the spiritual memoir, The Jewish Centaur, Adventures in Pentecostal Christianity, along with numerous published articles. Josh and his wife, Joanna, have been married for 20 years. They have two daughters, Sophia and Evie. And Josh is, to me, a friend. Josh has been a voice of life in my own life. Josh is the guy that constantly challenged me to keep pressing and investing in myself. And listen, you're in for a treat because today you're going to get access to what I believe is an absolutely brilliant mind in the kingdom of God. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be challenged today, and you are going to be encouraged. Let's go ahead and jump into the interview. Our special guest today is Dr. Josh Rice. Josh, welcome to Transformational Truth. We're really honored to have you. Thank you so much, Travis. I'm excited to uh, connect with you and your listeners today. Well, we're excited too. So here's today's Transformational Truth. When it comes to applying the Bible to our lives, anytime we take the text out of context, we can be left with a con. Um, Dr. Rice, I was recently reading a story about uh, Trevor Hudson a pastor from South Africa, and he was recounting the day he had met with a mentor, and it was a story I think we probably could both relate to to some level, to some degree. He said he met with his, his mentor because he had a crazy, hectic schedule, and, uh, you know, up early, um, to bed late, uh, more on his to-do list than he could accomplish in a day, and it was getting out of hand. His family felt it is, you know, his, he was feeling it in his uh, relationships, and he was tired, and he went to his mentor to ask for some time management advice. And he said after he got done um, telling his mentor everything he had going on, his mentor got quiet. And he leaned back in his chair and he asked him a question. He said, um, Trevor, uh, how do you relate to God? And Trevor Hudson said he was a little frustrated. He said, I just, I just wanted, you know, some time management advice. Let me get my schedule together. And his mentor proceeded to tell him that the problem wasn't with his schedule. The problem was the way he related to God was dysfunctional, mm. that he related to God in a way that busy equated successful, busy and burnout equated valuable to God. And, and I've discovered that the way we understand scripture, Dr. Rice, has a tremendous impact on how we relate to God. And, and personally for me, learning the principles of understanding the Bible in its proper context has transformed the way 
I read the Bible and the way I relate to God. Now that has impacted the way I relate to my wife, my kids, the way I pastor my church. And, and quite frankly, for all of our listeners uh, that don't know you, you've, you personally have, have helped me with this. You've made an impact on my life with this. And so that's why I was excited to get you on this show. Dr. Rice, why is understanding scripture and proper context so important for all of us, but especially uh, ministry leaders? Well, I think, Travis, the thread that you're drawing here is so incredibly vital and important. And on one side of that thread, it's everything that you described. It's our health as leaders, our, our health as pastors, the health of our preaching, our personal health, the health right. of our marriage. And yet you, you follow that thread down the line and somewhere down there uh, is something that sounds really boring and less important. And that is understanding scripture in context, words like yes. his, terms like historical context and literary context, right? Stuff that seems really academic. And again, you know, the average person in the pew might be off put at, at worst or at best, just probably ignorant of those terms. And yet I think that, um, Ideas have consequences. I think we Christians are essentially, at the end of the day, in the ideas business. And what we think is in the Bible uh, comprises our pool of ideas right. that have created this Christian revolution. So um, let me, I want to affirm the value of your question with that, but now I'd really just like to attack the question itself. And let me, let me say this, Travis. So uh, on Monday, I will go up to Lee University and I'll teach a group of graduate students in a day-long seminar called Discipleship in the New Testament. A lot of fun, great students, mm. really enjoy the experience. Um, this Monday is Gospels Day which of course is a highlight. And something that I would do at the beginning of that class is I have a list of about 20 questions about Jesus. Do you think Jesus is like X? Uh, do you think Jesus uh, plays by the rules or does his own thing? Do you think Jesus is a nervous kind of person? Do you think mm. Jesus is the life of the party, et cetera? Just questions about how they would uh, perceive, you know, the personality and tendencies of Jesus right. to be if you had been able to meet him live in the flesh. So we do that at the beginning of class. I don't say anything about it. They take the test. It's all yes, no questions. Super simple. I give them the same questions, but the questions are about themselves. <laughs> The same questions, and this wow. will this won't surprise you, Travis. But it 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 never fails to surprise me that the rule has never been broken, not once. That <laughs> the way a person sees Jesus is the way they see themselves, uh, wow, <laughs> or vice wow. versa, however you want. Wow. And my point is, Travis, we read self into Scripture. Right. We read what we want to see, and even sometimes what we hope to see. Right. into scripture. And, and that's, we can't help that. Right? right. So it's a subconscious mechanism. It's not like we're trying to do it. We just do it. And so without the ability to see a different context other than self, other than our own culture, other than our, our own reading position, uh, we might just read stuff in there that has absolutely nothing to do with the intent of the author uh, and the overall in, intent of God's word. So I think in a twist of irony, it takes a little step to defamiliarize ourselves with scripture mm. so that it can speak all the more powerfully to us. Oh, and if man. you will, I'll just give you two, two I'll give you yeah. two examples. Yeah. Okay? One is pretty innocuous. Innocuous one is not. 
So just, just simple example, read the fruit of the spirit in Galatians. If you grew up in church, you learned these as a kid, you know, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, right. peace, patience, etc. You know, as a good Western Southern individualist man, I read those my whole upbringing, my whole life thinking to myself, okay, Lord, it's time for me to be more loving and more peaceful and more patient heaven's sakes. Right. I'm going to grip my teeth and bear down and put my nose to the grindstone and pray harder. And I'm going to become all of these virtues. Right, right. And you know, is there anything wrong with that? Well, to a certain extent, no. But how does it change the meaning of that text when all the you's in Galatians are plural? When Paul is essentially saying these virtues should be seen in the interactions of this house church. Wow. These are community virtues that you work out, work on, express together. And if your community is not expressing visibly, not internally, externally, these virtues, Houston, we have a problem. You see, I mean, to me that as a pastor, that's a very, very powerful distinction. Right. And, and let me give you just a totally, um, you know, an example from, from the way other side of the spectrum. Uh, I had the opportunity, um, I've been twice, but shortly after it opened was my first opportunity to go to the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. on the Mm. National Mall. Have you been, Travis? I haven't had an opportunity to go, but I can't wait to get there. Yeah, well, I was just completely skeptical. I thought it was going to be lame and heavy-handed and, uh, you know, just, just a carnival. Uh, it's amazing, actually. It's that's so so well done. It's worth worth going there for. But one of the most powerful experiences was something that um, it really shook me. Um, I didn't know they had one. There are four in the world. Four of these. What I'm about to tell you: uh, a slave Bible hmm. that uh, the slave owners had made, and and at, at one time there were thousands of these, tens of thousands. The book of Exodus has been removed. Wow. Along with certain New Testament passages that center wow. on the theme of freedom. My point is choosing to read the fruit of the spirit from an individualistic Western context is obviously far less consequential than a slave Bible. But in some sense, it is the same thing. It is deciding that we have control over the right. text and the text is on our terms. We're not on its terms. Wow, man, that is uh, that is a potent um, observation. Um, you said something a minute ago. I think is really important. You said you said in a sense. Now this is counterintuitive when you first hear this statement. But you said in a sense we almost have to defamiliarize ourselves. Um, that feels almost counterintuitive. Can you just take a minute, maybe take off a little bit more on that? I I know where you're coming from, but for the sake of people listening. Uh, the concept of sort of defamiliarizing ourselves to truly embrace scripture in its proper context. Um, why is that so valuable? That's a good question. I, um, I think there is something dangerous about scripture becoming overly familiar. And I'm not saying familiar in the sense that we should fail to memorize scripture. I think that's one of the most powerful things any, any Christian can do. Uh, and yet when it becomes so malleable in our hands, because we know what this means and we know how to use this, right. you know, it just leads to all kinds of uh, irreverences, I would say. Right, right. You know, what does it mean to approach the scripture with reverence? To me, um, 
you know, that means study and a commitment to study and a commitment to doing the extra work related to doing my best to actually experience this text. You know, one example that's kind of funny, Travis, is growing up in the Pentecostal church, um, as I have, I remember as a kid, I always heard this, this verse or this thing quoted, um, you know, one of you will be able to put a thousand to flight and two will put 10,000 to flight. And it was sort of about right. our power over the devil. And I love that. I still love that. Right, right. And, and believe in the principle. But one day I just decided to, to actually find where that scripture was. And it's relay, It's God's judgment over Israel saying, if you forsake Torah, it's going to be so bad that one of your enemies is going to put a thousand to flight <laughs> and two of your enemies is going to put 10,000 to flight. And my point is, you know, that scripture in the Pentecostal tradition somewhere <laughs> down the line became so familiar that this is obviously about, you know, my power over that. Right, right. That, you know, it, that that's not even proof texting. I don't know what you call that. Uh, <laughs> so it's a, it's a fun an inconsequential example and yet we could point to many many examples that are far more absolutely absolutely i you know when you and i had this conversation it was in the middle of a, a hermeneutics class that you were teaching and um, you and i came up you know in, in pentecostal tradition and had some of the same experiences and for which most of which i'm very very thankful for but I could relate so much. And when you shared some of these principles, I remember staying after class. If anyone has questions, hang out. And uh, of course I hung out and I, I needed some answers because it was so revolution, revolutionary to my thought. Um, it, it took me some time to get my head around it, but it was so free B because suddenly scriptures that seemed so mysterious and uh, so disconnected, they came together things started coming together and they started making sense. I was, um, I was at a gathering a few years ago, Dr. Rice with uh, a group of pastors and leaders and they had a guest there to speak to us. Good man, uh, done incredible things for the kingdom of God. Um, but he said something as he was wrapping up our sessions. Now I didn't have, I, I didn't have the understanding of context or historical literary context, audience relevance. I, I didn't understand those concepts yet. But I remember hearing him say something and, and just didn't set right. He said this. He said to all of the pastors in the room, he said, guys, now I understand context and, and, and I understand it's great when you can do it. He said, but if you can't do it, don't worry about it. Context isn't that big of a deal. And I remember going, ah, that doesn't feel right. And I didn't even understand. I didn't have my head around the principles I've learned since then. And he meant really well. And um, he was really trying to be helpful. Um, and so I take all of that um, into consideration. But I, I guess it makes me wonder, my second question, why do you think there's such a real and prevalent temptation to dismiss the importance of context? And just to sort of say like, hey, it, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it, it feels like sometimes in the realm of preaching, the preaching world, you're looking for an opportunity to preach another sermon. And some stuff might preach well, but it's not right. Oh, boy. Well, goodness. You know, first, Travis, like you, I'm a pastor who fell into academic stuff. <laughs> that was not really my my goal nor my first love. Right. Um, and I would say to the contrary, I can point to moment after moment after moment where I 
really dug into pretty hardcore Bible study on a Sunday morning. And I don't think you want to get technical. I, you know, I think the purpose of a sermon is more to inspire than right, explain right, most of the right. time. I really do believe that. I agree. Uh, and yet there have been those points where I'm thinking, man, I, I think some of these technical details could really help people see where I'm going. And when I slow down and do it, um, it you know, you got to keep the pace up and preach. I really do believe that. But when I slow down and do it, you know, you feel the room change. You feel a hunger for the truth. Right. Uh, you feel a hunger for something that many people have not had before. And that's truly the, the exposited word of God within its context. So I think, you know, I think we're in a moment where there's more hunger than that, than for that than ever congregationally. You know, why do folks not feel like it's important from a, a pulpiteer's perspective? Um, you know, you, we've probably all heard the phrase, the winners get to write history. Yeah. And that also applies, unfortunately, to the assumptions that we mm. tend to make about the Bible, about what justification by faith means, about how to define salvation. Now, these things have been handed down to us in large part, especially to we evangelicals, by voices like Martin Luther from 600 years ago. And you can sort of walk the thread from there to see where we are today in right. terms of the basics of the gospel is as we might expect them. Um, I think, you know, it's easier to accept that it's easier to accept what we've been taught than it is to seek the truth in a way that that's more contextually specific. And unfortunately, when we fail to do that, we only get one reading and it tends to be a reading from a really select stance. Yeah. Um, let me give you an example of, of, of that, Travis, and sort of the right. challenge of that as I see it. Sunday, I preached at my, my Baptist church here in Atlanta, and uh, we're doing a Sermon on the Mount series, which is a lot of fun and challenging. Uh, and I talk Sunday about sort of what the Sermon on the Mount is, that it's not, that it's not a new scorecard for God to judge you by. It's not, you know, people love to call it, it's the new Torah, new law. Right, right because Jesus is sort of positioned like Moses. And I get that, but you know, what if we envisioned, what if we renamed the Sermon on the Mount, the flourishing life? You know, this is what Jesus believes it looks like visibly when you live a fully human life. And I talked about my Israel trip, which was two years ago. I got to go with a group of graduate students um, and you know, which was a, a you know, real dream come true. And many will be, people would agree with me who've been that I've spoken to that Galilee is a really powerful part of the trip because mm -hmm. it's still so remote and quite pristine. And so we stayed in Tib Tiberias for three nights and went to the various archeological sites. You know, you go to places where Jesus was, it's just that simple. And I think what slapped me in the face, and this is related to context is uh, coming face to face with this, um, term that theologians have used to describe the gospel, the, the, one of the most difficult points of the gospel for decades now, they've used the term scandal of particularity, hmm. scandal of particularity. And you get there and the Sea of Galilee is not a sea. It's a little lake that you could swim across. And the, there's no cities. It's just these little, yeah. you, know, you can imagine these tiny little villages. I mean, Nazareth probably had no more than 300 people at any time. Um, and, you know, they fished these fish and grew grain here and scrapped together a living. And, you know, you just realize that this global revolution we are a part of, 
you know, with cathedrals and mega churches and seminaries and libraries of books and pastors. <laughs> like it came from this particular place, from mm. a particular Jewish peasant who had a very common <laughs> Jewish name at the time, Yeshua. And he thought particular thoughts about what human flourishing looked like. And he happened to be in a very particular context of political and socioeconomic oppression. Mm. And it just sort of, you know, again, slapped me in the face with, you know, grappling with that is hard. Like, you know, right. Lily White Jesus, who votes Republican, knocks on the door of my heart. That's pretty easy. Like, I can handle that, you know, the yeah, Jesus yeah. of Christian art. But, but the particularity of Jesus and the very difficult things that he has to say about money, about sexuality, about debt forgiveness, about, um, you know, God's grace that breaks all the rules that we build our lives upon. That's hard. Mm. That's hard. And I think, Travis, every part of scripture is doing that. There is a scandal of particularity that is relative to Exodus, that is relative to Jeremiah, that is relative to Jesus and Paul. And um, I would hope some of our listeners would accept our challenge yeah. to cross that bridge because there are yeah. ways that you can cross that bridge and put yourself in that world and bring other people with you so that you could actually hear and experience the full bodied radical nature of the gospel, not just a little part of it. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so rich. I, um, you know, Dr. Rice, I, when I began to study the scripture through this new lens and began to dig a little bit more into historical literary context and um, audience relevance, these, these concepts that can help us better understand scripture. Um, it, for me, it wasn't so much as the point you made, I think is really important for the, especially if preachers are listening and there will be many, um, of getting bogged down in the Sunday morning moment of explaining that. But it was from my understanding, because when I understood it uh, more accurately, I was able to embrace it. And when I could embrace it um, accordingly, appropriately, I was able then to communicate it better. I was able to communicate it in a way that I think was more helpful and more healthy, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, to my point in the beginning, our story about Trevor Hudson, I, I could relate to that. I think reading the scriptures outside of proper context, I, I, I had imagined a God that was quite frankly different than the true God of the Bible. I imagined a God that was giving me a long to-do list. And if I did enough of those things and checked off enough boxes in any single day, I would be uh, pleasing to the Lord. I would be more useful to the Lord. So when I started to read it, understanding the proper context, uh, suddenly I, I found myself leading and pastoring and being a husband and father from a much different place because I was encountering God different. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, you know, the, what we think when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And understanding proper context has helped me gain a clear view of Jesus, a clear view of the Father and his love and his invitation to rest and not try to have to earn from the Father something he's already provided for me. And so that's why this, I'm so passionate about this conversation, because it's literally transformed my life, my ministry, my family. Yeah, it, you know, when we take God out of history, when we decide to read Scripture out of its context, we essentially take God out of history. And what happens? Well, life with God becomes private. 
God is no longer an agent of the world working from and inside and out of history. Yes. God is sort of this spiritual thing and it's sort of about my private life. But when we allow God to remain in, in his history, I believe it shapes the ins and outs of our historical lives by historical. I mean, you know, what we get up and do every day. Right, right, right. Uh, that's so good. Josh, Dr. Rice, can you offer us a few simple for our listeners who maybe some of the terms we're using are a little different and they're not, they're not completely sure how to connect these dots. Um, can you offer just a few simple keys maybe to identifying proper context of scripture? Obviously in the short time we have, you can't go into too much depth, but maybe just a couple of things that would be helpful for those that are listening. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we've been going about 30 minutes here, so I'll, I'll talk fast. Um, great thing is we live in an age in which information has been democratized. And my first suggestion would be to get, don't use the internet, but buy, get a good commentary. If you're doing a series in Matthew or in, you know, Isaiah or whatever, uh, start to amass a collection of good commentaries from biblical scholars. There are many that are readable. There are many that are in paperback. Most of them are pretty cheap and they're all on Amazon now. So I would say um, the strength of your preaching ministry, if you're a preacher, is going to depend on the strength of your library. I really do believe that at the end of the day, mm. that that's a major factor. And if you want to be just a versed Christian, this is a great way to do it, to begin to build a library that can help you study. And I think beyond that, Travis, just having a, a historical sense of the time periods of the Bible is just that, that in itself is important. So, you know, yeah. the basic socio-political history of the Old Testament, you know, recognizing, you know, that the, the Ten Commandments are not, you know, I appreciate that we put them on courthouse walls and stuff, and I see value in that, but what does that do? It strips them from history. The Ten Commandments are rooted in the enslavement of the Egyptians. It's, right. here's anti-slave, anti-racist commandments to help you understand how to live a whole new life that you've never even conceived of before, right? So understanding sort of Egypt, the exile, hmm. you know, the Hebrew Bible is in a different order than our Old Testament, even though all the books are there. It ends with Second Chronicles, which ends with the exile to Babylon, 587, and all hmm. these prophets, almost all of them are talking around that event. So just knowing that, you know, having a sense of the Roman Empire in the time of Jesus, the movie Gladiator, I tell my students, go watch Gladiator. It's a pretty good primer for yeah. like what Roman power looked like, you know, the cross of Rome's law and order. Um, you know, Caesar is Lord is a greeting on the road. And here Paul comes out talking about Jesus is Lord in the city of Ephesus. You know, you wow. just start to realize that nothing in the Bible sounds cute and nothing <laughs> in the Bible sounds safe. And, you know, for Jesus to go around talking about the empire of God when they're under the rule of the empire of Rome wow. sounds like the kind of thing that gets you crucified. And you just start to read with a different wow. lens. Not because you have a, a bachelor's degree in history. You don't need right. that. That's right. You sort of have a general sense of, you know, these, right. these time periods, I think, can be helpful. And, when, and then when it comes to the letters of the New Testament, Travis, think about, you know, this house church setting. It's an oral setting. These letters in the New Testament were experienced by people in house churches sitting down. Right. And it's read out loud from probably the only person in the small community that could read. Right. And when they wow. talk about, you know, slaves, masters, they're all sitting there. Children, husbands, wives, they're all sitting there. Tell him to quit teaching that junk. 
he's there <laughs> in the room. And so I just think, you know, we bring scripture to life when we start thinking about the fact that this stuff came from a real setting, you know? Wow. Wow. Um, my last question, Dr. Rice, one of, I think one of the greatest challenges for me uh, was realizing that by reading certain passages incorrectly, I, I'd also unintentionally taught them incorrectly. And, and I think I want to be careful here um, because I think there, I, I don't want people to listen to this and walk away and, and be afraid to preach or be afraid to try to understand. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I think in the midst of all of this, we agree that the Holy Spirit, I was taught many years ago by, by a mentor. Uh, he said to me, he said, Travis, God will work through you, but he'll also work around you and beneath you and above you. And, and God will use us in spite of us sometimes. So I don't want this to be something where people walk away feeling, oh gosh, discouraged. I don't know what to do, but but from my perspective, learning this importance for me personally, it was sobering. And I think uh, knowing that I had unintentionally at times, because I understood it incorrectly, I, I in turn taught it incorrectly. Nothing heretical, nothing, nothing, um, nothing to take major issue over, but, but it's nuanced. Mm-hmm. And I think the sobering reality that can make this an awkward journey for spiritual leaders is when it comes to honing their hermeneutical skills is, is this, uh, here's what I did. I literally, uh, when I had taken some time with this, I actually stood up and I don't recommend this for everybody. I'm just sharing my story. I stood up in front of my church and I'd pointed to a couple of, of, of examples where I had preached a text, taught a text and realized I'd taken them out of their context. And I apologized to the church. And I said, I'm sorry, I got this wrong, but I'm learning. And um, I want to be the best pastor and the best preacher and the best leader that I can be. Um, but I wanted you to know this. I got this wrong, and I'm here today to get it right. Can you offer any advice for, for leaders who might be down the road a little bit, but want to walk this out in their own lives or their own ministries? I can. And I would say, first off, you know, Augustine said, you have read a text correctly if it causes you to love your neighbor more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I kind of disagree with the hermeneutic, but love the <laughs> and think that's just right. rather Jesus-centered, you know? Right, so right. I think you cut yourself some slack on, on that, Travis. But let me just offer three things. First is to find conversation partners that are different from you. Oh, this is not so very good. hard to do, especially in the age of social media. I had the opportunity a couple years ago to go teach at a large seminary in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, taught, uh, I don't know, it's probably 50 pastors. Luke Acts was what they said, come teach Luke mm-hmm. Acts. So it was three or four days there. Uh, and I mean, y- you just talk about having your worldview blown up. And, and I realized even there, wow, I read this text from a certain standpoint that mm-hmm. brings me to certain assumptions that have now been thrown up in the air in a really healthy way. And so it, that that's an easy thing to do. I, I think secondly, and, and I really mean this, this probably the most important thing I could say about the whole subject. What would it look like if the most pleasurable part of your week pastor or Christian was the time you took studying God's word, Mm. studying about God's word? Like what if you, what if that was a work of joy and you look forward to it and you weren't worried for the three or four hours about the end product. You, You were just absolutely soaking in what you were soaking in. And I tell my preaching students all the time, including this week, Um, I will walk them through what I have done and what I tell them is, you know, I'm going to study resources about the passage probably for a couple hours, two to four hours. It's pretty typical for a sermon. 
um, almost all that I study won't make it into the sermon at all. Right. Maybe 90% or more. Yeah. And yet that 90% that doesn't make it in is actually the most important part. Hmm. And I can't really explain why <laughs> other than to say there is an authority that comes from knowing a lot of things about that passage that I don't think the congregation necessarily needs to know, but yeah. I'm ready when I get there. I'm right. Ready. That's it makes, right. It makes it a big impact. I mean, Travis, you told me something a long time ago when you were being mentored by TD Jakes and yeah. I can't remember the exact phrase, but the spirit of it stays with me. You said that he told you, you want my product without my process. That's he, right. he may, I know he used the word process, maybe yeah. the terminology is yeah. different yeah. on the front end, but like it's a powerful, powerful quote. Yeah. And so is, you know, is the discipline of study and a love of that, can that be just a, a part of our lives? And then third, I'm going to give a shameless plug for the school where I teach and serve <laughs> as dean. If you haven't gone all the way, and Travis himself is, is looking at doctoral options right now, but if you haven't um, done a graduate degree, think about that. If you've done a graduate degree, think about a doctorate because with the, the online modular options, there's so many ways to get it done. Um, and I just find the structure, like the structure of needing to teach, having to teach is the same as the structure of being a student. It creates a structure for you to be learning more about God's word and its context. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't done an undergrad or grad degree, would love for you to check us out, Richmond Graduate University in Atlanta and Chattanooga at richmont.edu because we'd be delighted to pursue being a part of your story. Yeah, and I will, I will um, piggyback on that, Dr. Rice, and, and just say to all of our listeners, um, I graduated from Richmond, and um, my undergrad was um, educational, but my experience at Richmond was transformational. Mm -hmm. And I can say that with all integrity in my heart. Um, today's transformational truth was when it comes to applying the Bible to our lives, anytime we take the text out of context, we can be left with a con. Um, Dr. Rice, um, where else can people find you? Uh, you can find me at richmont.edu. You can find me on Facebook at Josh Rice. You can find me at Twitter at Jewish Centaur and my uh, blog account, which is based on the title of my last book is the jewishcentaur.wordpress.com. I'd love to hear from you. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Rice. This was a fantastic interview. Thank you, sir. If you'd like to connect with Dr. Rice, please check out the links that we included for you in the show notes. And if Transformational Truths is helpful to you, please do me a favor, take a moment, go over to Apple iTunes to rate the show and write us a quick review. I want to help you restore the joy to your life and your leadership. Thank <laughs> you.